This is a loving robot podcast, recounting tales from EverQuest directly from the people who worked on it. And now here's your host, Sean Lord. Now we'll do this more. Oh my God. First try. Really? (laughs) That's amazing. Thank you, Robert Fister, for teaching me to always very early in any demo, get your shit together, try it out a few times. Right. God bless that man. So, dude, all right. it's been a while. Earlier. It, dude, it's been, it's been way too long. You mentioned Planes of Power earlier, so I had to go in the other room and dig this up. The original Planes of Power box right here mm. from back in the day. Delicious. With built-in Furiona V with the yes. grip. So, yes. you know, you, you really can't go wrong with that. Uh-uh. There you go. That's amazing, man. I've got I've got a storage room in Austin, Texas that is so full of that stuff. And for years, I was like, I've been paying for the storage room. I'm in Germany. I'm in Sweden. Um, I've been paying for the storage room for like the value of everything there just keeps going up. Um, honestly, honestly. And but and I got one more for you. That uh, since you also mentioned planes of power, uh, this one I'm going to end up screwing up the. Screwing up the camera for a second. Oh, we got time. You, you can fix it. See if anybody in this chat recognize, you know, looking at your face and then recognizing this little kid right here, and 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 how how cool he looked and what a badass he was. Because let me tell you, that guy was scary. Where the hell did you get that picture? <laughs> so when we did the uh, um, when we did the uh, Planes of Power launch party at Fister's house. Um, I still have like a, just a whole filer full of pictures from all of the stupid shit we did back then. And oh. yeah, I've got like 200 pictures from that party, including where um, you will probably remember our esteemed boss um, physically picked up Paul Carrico, the uh, incredibly nice young man who was uh, running trade skills at the time and <laughs> physically body slammed him onto a sprinkler in the lawn and landed on him. And uh, yeah, I have a picture of that too. So that was uh, a nice surprise this morning. The wrestling, the EQ wrestling was always so much fun. Like <laughs> if people only knew how much wrestling we did back then. I am thoroughly amazed we don't have more jail stories um, because we really should have quite a few. Uh, yeah, and there were shockingly, shockingly, very little for the amount of uh, stuff that went on back then. So hey, well, lovely yeah. to see you. Likewise, not to not to spill the tea, um, <laughs> guys in chat. Can you hear everything pretty well? I'm assuming since you're responding that you can. Um, and speaking of Paul Carrico, I've reached out to him. I'm I'm just trying to ping as many people. Um, Actually, no, I did not reach out to Paul. He was on my list of people, um, and he popped in the chat. Yeah. And because I saw P. Carico, and he was like, Hey, I'm like, Oh, great. I was about to contact you. So, um, yeah, over time, I'd like to just get more and more people on. Yeah. Paul, uh, he's such a great guy. He's such a good guy. I hope all's going well for him. Uh, yeah. So, hey, how's your, uh, so how's your, uh, reintroduction to EQ been, man? Good. Um, you know, we were just talking about some of the things like the, uh, the loot window. I don't know if you've seen it. Have you seen it? I think, yeah. So I played, uh, there was a, a time lock server, like probably about a year and a half ago. Um, d- do you remember, uh, was, did you and Andy Curtin overlap? Yeah. 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 Okay. So- Giant Viking. 
And he worked for us at Tryon, and uh, he also worked with us at Sony. And yeah, so Andy and I played that one, and I we were grouping, just kind of you know we were duoing just like you are. And the first time that loop window popped up, I, <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> this is very very much in a piece of EverQuest user interface. Yes, it is. Yeah, uh, yeah. You need a PhD in loot to uh, figure that thing out. It only took us four days, and I think we got it now. As long as I, I don't have to push any other buttons other than the two that I know to push, yeah. we're good. But if I ever get in a group and they're like, no, you can't always need or whatever, <laughs> I'm probably going to loot the wrong shit, I'm sure. Um, fortunately, I'm not going on any raids anytime soon. So Yeah, yeah man. Um, so really, one of the things I wanted to do with like, having you on here is um, just give the folks that have been popping in and asking questions. There's so many times where I'm like, they ask me things that are either technical, and I'm like, you don't understand. I was never technical. Like, I never knew that. Um, let alone this. I've forgotten most of this stuff. Fortunately, there are people like, well, I was on, uh, if you look in chat right now, Zaid God. I was on his stream earlier listening in, because um, he's regular in here and in, in, so uh, I like to pop over um, and check his stream out. And he's explaining the lore behind the Shreza of Temple uh, like raid that I implemented yeah. forever ago. And I was like, first of all, I did not remember a single damn bit of it. And so when I heard it, I was like, oh, my God, that sounds cool. Um, good job. And then uh, but I just knew it. Right. So like coming in here, uh, let's see. Lower Scott sound a little, even with mine, because I am a bit lower. We'll see if this works. Cool. Um, oh, when I talk, it lowers Scott sound. Yeah, because he's just coming through desktop audio. So when I talk over him, it's not going to be good. Um, but anyway, like, where the hell was I with that? I just got so lost. Um, what was I talking about, dude? I was talking about Shreza, then we went over to some other shit, and then it's like, yeah. Anyway, so can we have Scott give his bio experience uh, before the, and after EQ? Absolutely. Um, and I had, I you know, in case chat drops the ball. Oh, that's what I was about to say. I was just going to say that um, without chat, the experience this last week would, wouldn't, I don't think it would have been as good. Um, they've been so helpful in like relearning the game and showing me where to go and telling me to hit auto attack and all that good stuff. It's been great. So, yeah, and, and, your, and your, your chat is basically exactly the right size too, right? Cause it's like, yeah. you're, you're not, you're, you're not at the crazy level where it's just too much a wall. And you got like people who actually give a damn, which is great. Yeah. It's fantastic, dude. So, okay. Um, hopefully chat has some questions. I've got some just to kind of move things along, but yeah, man, I think your bio, if people haven't looked at your LinkedIn, they don't realize it goes back to like 1986 in games. So if you would like to start yeah. with just uh scepter of goth, yeah, uh, the yeah. mud and work your way forward. I mean, so I started making games. Uh, I was a designer. I was a writer. I wasn't technical at all. Um, and I was just a kid. And it was the first, the first era of commercial muds. So, um, you know, people would pay 20 bucks a month for unlimited access to a mud on their 300 baud dial-up modem. And, you know, with, uh, with 30 other people online, max. And, uh, so yeah, I worked in commercial muds for a long time. And, uh, 
then was also uh, worked on the Gemstone series, which is still alive today, like 25 years later, some by some miracle. Um, and then uh, worked, you know, there's this little era in between MUDs and MMOs where nobody knew what the hell to do to make to go online. Mm-hmm. Like this dial-up and internet stuff is a thing, but there's no games for it. So a bunch of companies sprung up with the whole idea of taking single-player games um, and doing matchmaking over the internet. And so one of the one of the ones I got to work on for that was Warcraft Two, which was a lot of fun. Uh, where you know, in the the way it came out of the box, right? You could either dial up modems to play your friends or play on the LAN. And so we did a thing, you know, we ported it to Windows and uh, let people play with with each other over the internet. This was like back before Blizzard uh, was really paying attention to the internet. And mm-hmm. I think we all know uh, that they, they, I think they figured it out just fine. Uh, They've done okay. Yeah, <laughs> pretty well for themselves. Uh, good little startup. And uh, yeah, and then EverQuest and uh, um did uh, what four expansions plus live stuff there and EverQuest 2, which was boy, I'm sure you and I could talk some trash about the old days about that, but anyway, um, it was it was fun with a good team, and uh, yeah, then uh, ended up you know, did some Silicon Valley stuff for a little while, then ended up at Tryon and was executive producer on Rift. And uh, then later came back to run the company. And that was, uh, uh, there's many, many stories for many, many beers over that one. And it's a shame it's 11 a.m. here. Otherwise, I'd probably get drunk and talk right now. But, well, uh, yeah, it's, uh, oh, you, you want the EQ tra- EQ2 trash talk. I see. Um, I, you can always come back. You can always come back when it's more beer friendly at a different time. Or we can do it in private. Thing about EQ2, though. Um, the fact that, and, and, you know, people are pretty open about, you know, the realities of game development these days. You know, back then we really didn't talk about it, right? You know, mm. like all of the honestly sometimes torturous stuff that teams go through to get games shipped. These days it's a much more open topic. The thing that I don't think most people would believe is that the game that we shipped for EQ2 was literally put together in the 11 months before launch day. 11 Dude. months before launch day, it was a pile of empty zones with no gameplay systems and no loot and no monsters and no nothing. It was a bunch of art and a renderer and some servers that didn't really have much of a game in them. And uh, you, I'm, Sean, I'm sure you remember that week when uh, a couple of us got the talking to of, hey, um, we need you to go start working on EQ2. <laughs> oh, uh, When? Right now. So that was, that was, okay. So people keep asking because they're like, hey, we noticed in your bio you've got, um, basically you go up to, was it Gates of Discord, right? So was it, was it Eldon right before Gates? And so it's like Eldon didn't work on Gates and then came back for Omens. And they're like, so what happened there? And so what I, what I, you know, this, this stream has been very much one about positivity. I've been a very, which if you, you know me from like back in the day, it's like the opposite of my character. Like the fact that I'm like in here being polite, being nice and all that stuff. When I used I to be it. such a raging screaming idiot, um, <laughs> as evidenced by my, the only item 
one of two items named after my dude, right? Like, what is it? Chainmail of rage? Yeah. So I've been super chilling here. So when they ask, I'm like, well, there's a transition. We quickly transitioned the leadership of the EverQuest team over to EQ2. Um, and then... Transition. I love it. You can tell I'm an executive now. An executive. Um, quickly transitioned over the course of one day. Um, <laughs> and then... We, of a meeting. Yeah. So that was because on Friday, it was completely unrelated. You guys, these are anecdotes that you're just... You love them or you're in the wrong place. This is not going to happen tonight. So Waters, Rich Waters, uh, another guy that I'm hoping to get in here soon. Um, big, lovable Rich knows that I love skull stuff, or at least I, you know, I was always wearing my friend's company shirts every day, zero skulls and stuff like that. That man right there, that beautiful man, Rich Waters. Oh my God, your pictures are so amazing. Whoa, that's so good. I, I forgot about that. You should send that to him. But yeah, so he left this Grim Reaper on my desk on Friday. And that was also the same time that I think um, Rod Humble was like, hey, bro, um, have a great weekend, bro. And we, we, we need to all talk on Monday. And I was like, first of all, never start someone's weekend with like, hey, have a great weekend. Don't worry. We're all going to meet on Monday because all I'm going to do all weekend is think about Monday. So anyways, that was that Monday. We, the three of us sat in the office of Rod and, uh, and, and wasn't Blakely was in there, I guess. Right. Uh, he, he was, was it not Blakely? It was just us three and Rod. I think, I think. Mm, Fister was there. Oh, uh, you're right. You're right. You're right. And I thought maybe our new, our new owner was there and it was like, <laughs> it's like, by the way, you're transitioning to EQ2. Oh, cool. I guess. Um, starting when now, <laughs> now, <laughs> I think one, I, I won't, I won't say which person said this, but it wasn't you or me. Um, and I think one of the funniest moments of my, uh, of my entire career that has ever happened in a meeting happened immediately after that sentence. And that was when this other person literally stopped breathing said nothing just face frozen and went can, can we quit <laughs> <laughs> no no i'm sorry bro that's just not a choice anymore you're not allowed. <laughs> so scott scott has no problem um spilling spilling the tea here <laughs> It's a funny, that's the thing, man. It's a million years ago. It, it is a million years ago. And I'll, I'll be honest. My thing was, like, I loved EverQuest. Like, oh, no. I, I just loved EverQuest. Someone coming in and going, hey, we want you to work on something that's not EverQuest. I'm like, oh, so are we finally making the, the, the Shadowrun game I've been pitching for the last eight years? No? Okay, then I'm working on EverQuest. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. <laughs> so... Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, that was definitely a bit of a winner. Um, the uh, um, I saw a question in here that I wanted to, to grab real quick. Yeah, let's make sure we're we're getting those as well instead of just gabbing on like All a good. bunch of old men. All good. Yeah. Um, so about when EQ2 was release date. So the EQ2 release date was um, yeah, it was crazy contentious. Um, EverQuest two launched. I want to say seven days, seven or eight days ahead of World of Warcraft. Um, 
yes, that was when we were informed we were shipping. Um, we were originally, I mean, that's how, you know, that's how well, uh, launch dates work at a lot of companies, right? Because if you ambush them, you just need to sneak out first. That was going to be the clear differentiator right there. Coming. <laughs> See, this is, this is the ex-military in you. This is why you are a master of tactics. Um, but, um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, so with us, we were originally supposed to launch, uh, there was always this, like, dueling, so it's like a game of chicken, right, where it was who's going to launch when. And uh, the companies, no, you know, nobody really knows. Um, and inside of, inside of where we were, it was really kind of interesting because so many people, there, there were two pretty big, different, pretty different schools of thought on World of Warcraft in general, right? You remember it was like people that were like, oh, don't worry, this isn't competition. I mean, it's such a kiddie game. They've got freaking exclamation marks over things. Head. It's too easy. Stupid childish game. And then there were those of us who actually play games who are like, uh, guys, this is really, really good. <laughs> this is really good. Um, and uh, yeah, so, you know, decisions got made that, once their launch was, uh, their launch date was set, uh, our launch date got pulled in about two weeks and, uh, it was, you know, choo choo, here we go. And, uh, yeah. things happened the way they happened. Yep. Yep. That's, that's about it. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Some of the, some of those email threads during that period were interesting. The analysis of, of wow and its prospects. And I, I would say that was one of those things where it's, it wasn't good to have a 500 person mailing list where people were discussing that because I did not have a filter. Like I, I was like all 500 people need to understand how, how wrong you are in this assumption. Don't be an asshole. Yeah. I, I, I used to, I used to internally refer to that one in, at least in my own head as the, the career limiting mailing list. Cause that <laughs> one was where people were just free to be as, you know, smart as their blessed little selves possibly could and uh some people there was some brilliance on there for sure but other times there was kind of not <laughs> yeah well i learned uh, i learned a lot about um how long it takes to repair relationships in a professional sort of <laughs> field in those early days and since then i've mellowed out and i'm definitely more political i, I gotta say that's one one of the things that's actually been really great i'm glad we were all stupid you know closer to kids back then than we are mm. now because it's like every single person that i've talked to you know when when you're up until three in the morning and there's literally human beings grabbing each other by the collar and slamming up against walls because nobody slept in a week um people chill out 20 years later and everybody just yeah. wants to get along and yeah. that has been um yeah exactly exactly what that person just said exactly good times 52 you you learn to <laughs> you learn to breathe yeah yeah man I've, I've gotten a lot more chill I'm, I'm a generally chill guy you guys have seen that you folks that have been here for a while this is just me Yep. Jasmine's first sort of like encounter with uh, grouping. I looked over and I was like, oh man, I'm at 6% health. She's, she's healing. I was like, Hey babe, you know, just whenever you get a chance, if you could, if you could heal me, it was just like, <laughs> just chill. Yeah. We get, we get to take things a little less seriously now. Uh, so that works. 
Hey, I've got I've got some more questions. Chat, you guys have been asking a ton of stuff that I've been like, hey, when Hartsman gets here, I think it'll be great for you to ask that. There's some like technical stuff. There's um, Grix. Could you actually get away with physically stemming coworkers in an office these days? I think no. Um, <laughs> I think in Sweden it's not a fireable offense. It's just you will be definitely sternly. No, not sternly. There would be a lot of inquiries as to what what is wrong and how we can help that not happen in the future. Um, so when you came in, like, how did you wind up landing on EQ? Like more specifically, though, man. Um, so I, it, it's a fun. It, that's an interesting one. So prior to being at SOE, I was work uh, working on one of the Middle Earth Online game teams. Uh, you know, at another at another startup. Um, there were actually like three or four different attempts by people to get a middle earth MMO off the ground. Mm-hmm. And this one was being published by Sierra. They paid us enough to do pitch doc design rough, you know, all the documentation and a little tiny bit of pre-production. Uh, and then the whole thing fell apart when we were trying to take it to a real full contract for the whole game. Mm-hmm. And the woman I worked for, um, she was coincidentally the Sony side producer for EverQuest back when EverQuest was launched. And, um, so she introduced me to Smed and Smed was like, we have this incredibly behind game that we could use a smart person on. So he hired me to work on Sovereign. I don't know however many people in chat know the name Sovereign, but it was the MMO RTS with tanks on a, globe map and blah 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 and okay so oh you're the guy who knows it. <laughs> nick hotz <laughs> we we found him folks um and uh oh man uh so i i can <laughs> i can tell you why um it didn't release i mean largely um I, I mean the short version is it wasn't finished it wasn't fun now why didn't it get finished and why wasn't it fun um they we didn't really spend a lot of time back in the day iterating to fun the way game developers do now. Everything was being done in massive Bible-sized documents, and you were largely judged by uh, everything was a doc measuring contest, I guess you'd call it. Yeah, um, it's like how thick is your doc? Yeah, exactly. And you know, by the time I got there, I you know I joined the team. The, the, they throw a binder at me that's four inches, you know, four inches thick of incredibly dense stuff. First thing I did was you know you know just try to scope out what it was going to take to get it done. And you know, my my immediate rough was like hmm, ten engineers, five years. Uh, <laughs> and you know, they had what four engineers at the time, or five, or something. Um, that did not go over well. And, um, instead of iterating on let's take what's there and make it fun, they decided to, you know, again, just how we did stuff in the old days is have people begin another new giant document and, you know, over time, you know, and, and and over time, you know, you, you really don't get to fun that way. Um, so yeah, so I ended up getting hired on Sovereign. I was on Sovereign for all of a month when you know and i i smoked back then and so i would you know i'd go outside smoking all the time and i would see you know these people coming downstairs um you know that's running into lawrence running into Capozzi, you know right all those folks um and you know these people were there first thing in the morning and they were there until one or two a.m 
And meanwhile, the team that I was on was working nine to six. And, right. you know, because of course you're going to try to do that. If you can do that, that's a normal human job. Good for you. Um, and so just watching the EverQuest team kill themselves, I was like, you know, is there something I can do to help guys? Cause holy crap, you know, one, we got one team doing this. We got the team that's getting us all paid doing, you know, 16 hour days. What can I do to help? And so, um, had a couple of conversations with the producers and they went, yep. Okay. We'll take the body. And, uh, yeah. so ended up transferring over. Yeah. So, uh, and was, that was, was that in the lead up to Lucklin or was that yeah, still it was, it was during the Valleus era lead up? to Luckland. Yeah. Yeah. Cause when you mentioned like Capozzi and Lawrence and those, I, as as a young pup apprentice becoming a designer in that era, like that little area right outside the doorway, I was like, that's where I snuck out to sort of meet people and try to get work, continue to work my way onto the team. And it's like those guys, you know, I, I can picture them. Pay, I can picture Capozzi pacing, just pacing and smoking. And, uh, Lawrence, I don't remember him. Was he dipping or smoke? I just remember him spitting everywhere all the time. You're right. It was dip. Yes. No, you are 100% right. Because yeah. when I was stuck in the office with him, I always had to laugh whenever he accidentally drank from that spit, spit bottle. Ah, <laughs> uh, the good old days. And so, yeah, so you came on, you came on during that period and Lucklin was, was definitely pretty rowdy. And that was basically right before then when that team, after Lucklin, that's when Sigil sort of came up and a lot of those guys left and then us young pups moved in and then we did the planes of power. Mm-hmm. And that's, I, that's sort of when I think of like us as a team, like me as sort of coming in, it was always, I picture Luckland and the lead up to even be allowed to work on it. So it's like, yeah. um, helping Steve and, you know, other folks, but mainly like Steve with some of the Velia stuff, then it was Luckland, but then like our team, Fister, you rich, mm-hmm. etc. Yeah. That's that pop era. <clears throat> yep. Yeah. And I know you can speak a lot to all the technical stuff and everything else that was going on there that people have been asking about. Yeah, thank for was, yeah. Thank you for the follow, Nick. Yeah, that that was some crazy times. Um, you know, it, at the time I joined back then, um, the game had not shipped the main build version in like six months because you probably remember the graphics engine was you know basically the programming equivalent of spread out in the garage on a sheet in parts. Um, you know, as uh, they were trying to redo all of rendering to support, you know, potential new zone tech, new particle system, new character models, new, you know, new uh, uh, actually using uh, shaders, you know, stuff like that. Um, and that was a long, long slog for a lot of people to try to get, you know, uh, not just get rendering working, but get, you know, how do we get new characters loaded? How do we, you know, make these characters animate? How do we not make a fiery Avenger when you give it to a skeleton attached to its pelvis and then start spewing flames, which sent uh, all of the engineers into um, spasms, just dying laughing one day at 3 a.m. We couldn't take it anymore. Um, There's a lot of that. So it was, uh, um, you know, and that's, you know, so, I mean, it was it was fun, but painful at the same time. It was fun because holy crap, we're actually, you know, we're, we're doing work that's going to matter. We are actually putting this game back together and hopefully it will become shippable again someday. Um, the, the part that made me sad was I'm excited about gameplay. 
right? I was a big EQ player. And so I, the thing that I enjoy the most personally are things like the magic system, the combat system, the UI, the, you know, things that players mm-hmm. actually interact with, not so much the under the hood stuff. Um, and so we didn't get to focus on that. Yeah. So let's come back to that um, in a second, because that's actually on my list, right? I, 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 the your play history and the mm-hmm. the fact that you were such a player. Um, there are a couple of questions in chat. One of which, um, one of the one of the questions that's come up for me from a few folks um, is just like, what was my impression of Brad, right? And yeah. the degree to which we overlapped and stuff like that, because naturally it's such a key part of the history. And with him not yeah. being here anymore, you know, so I'm, I'm yeah. curious. Uh, do you have something to add there? Mine was pretty light, right? Like I just saw him kind of in passing. He was already like chief creative officer. Yeah, Brad was, you know, in our, in our time, Brad was largely, you know, he was chief creative. He was on, you know, what what game time he was putting in was like, you know, talking to EQ2 and Star Wars Galaxies leads about their stuff, right? Um, and so, you know, the, it, we, we weren't there for the, early days of Brad McQuaid as producer and one of the programmers. Right. Um, but in becoming friends with him after that time, and we did become friends in the, uh, the post, the post sigil era. Um, and as he's been working on his, you know, or as he had been working on his latest company with Mm. uh, Pantheon. And, um, so, uh, yeah, I, I would run into Brad, uh, you know, two or three times a year at conventions and we'd always catch up and I always see if there's any, you know, anything I can do to help, um, you know, anything I do to help them out, like with fundraising or stuff like that. Um, so, you know, the sense that I got from him was he is absolutely a diehard gamer and that is, you know, no question about it. And all of his desire, all of his desires came from the right place. He absolutely games that people loved. He wanted to make immersive worlds. Um, I think that the places we disagreed were, I am, you know, I come from a engineering background, so I'm not very, you know, dogma driven. I'm more like evidence and iterate and, you know, you know, Mm. if you, if you hand me proof that tells me I'm wrong, I will go, Oh good. I'm wrong. Now I have new facts and I will move forward with these new facts. Um, Brad was very values and a little more dogma driven than I was. And so our methods very different. Um, but never once did I question that he absolutely, you know, was coming at it from a real passion for games and a real passion for players. Um, and that's how I were able to be, you know, I think we were able to be pretty decent friends afterwards. Yeah. I, and that's funny. I mean, the way you just broke that down is the way I felt about a lot of people. Like there is a lot of disagreement. I'm moving occasionally just because I don't want to, I don't want to trigger being AFK or whatever, but, um, like it was funny. We were all so passionate. And that's what led to a lot of like the just arguments, but it was almost, it it was rarely just a straight like ego thing. Like I want to do this. It's like, I honestly believe this is better. So it was, uh, and we were young and we were jacked up on Red Bull and, you know, sleep deprived and all that stuff. So Sinalin, thank you for the follow. Um, going back to your, your play history, like, I mean, you're a high end player, right? Like, I was, yeah, I was the, uh, um, and one of, one of the people in your chat was in my guild actually. Um, but I won't, I won't, I won't out him unless he outs himself. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we were, uh, in a guild ironically called Pantheon on Interruck. Uh, mm-hmm. I was the, the guild master there and we were, 
you know, a server first ish, server first mm-hmm. or server second ish level guild. And it was, you know, that was back in the back in the era of eighty four people in plane of fear. There was no such thing as a raid structure. And, you know, so it was literally just shouting in, you know, shouting in zone chat, group one, do this, group two, do that. Good times. Mm-hmm. You remember that? Wow. Well, okay. Yeah. That's us. And it was yeah. fun. And, um, and it was actually kind of funny. The, uh, when I was on, uh, in the era that I was on EQ2, one of our artists, uh, one of our environment lead artists, his name was Kelsey. And, uh, he pings me in, in our chat and he goes, dude, you need to come to my desk and look at this. And I'm thinking he wants to show me his zone. Um, I go over there and he shows me his emails. And he's like, I was just searching for an old email for you, an old email from you. And meanwhile, keep in mind, I am his boss's boss at this point. And he's like, look, this is when you were forming your guild. This is the email you sent in. I was the GM who formed your guild for you back in 1999. So um, that was really cool and you know he now owns a brewery that's yeah i've been following his brewery dude if you're in san diego this that's a brewery to go to um yeah what is it is it is it north point north park brewery north park yeah north North park Park brewery yeah yeah Uh, um yeah kelsey such a nice guy amazing like it's funny the the environment artists that were like early gms um Dave, Dave Nevola, like he was my GM when I was a guide. I was a player on Interrook. I saw you guys running around all the time, right? I think I've said this in the past. <laughs> but I would, yeah. Well, so I, I, well, as a player on Interrook first, and then I, when I got on the team, I got, um, pulled over to seventh hammer to basically be in Steve's guild, the dark exile, because uh-huh. like I was in a mom pop sort of like, very we we role played and stuff right we weren't necessarily you know raiding anything and so he's like no you need to start raiding more so he pulled me over there and uh was there ever since but dave was um dave was my gm uh when i was a guide and then he's how i got into variant at the time sony mm-hmm. and then he went from being a gm to environment artist as well yeah. right so it's interesting to see how many of the gms wound up like taking up development roles over time they just were. because they were there right yeah so um let's see these guys had the, the other big huge pile of opportunities that we had for gms was on i'm sure you remember this from eq2 was um uh when you know, like I like I mentioned earlier, that entire all of the content for that game was built in the last you know eleven eleven or twelve months. Um, yeah, the way it got built was there were only like four or five designers on the team when we joined, and they were all systems folks. Right? Mm-hmm. It was like uh, no, there was like one content lead, but there was no real content team. And literally, the design team got fleshed out by Smed going calling CS and, and informing us that we were about to take receipt of 20 GMs who we were going to have to train in the content tools and have them build a game. Well, it's worked before. <laughs> and I, for a given value of worked, I would, it worked for us too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause that's essentially what was happening during the Lucklin era. It was like, yeah. uh, we quickly went from just, 
being apprentices, apprentice to, to, Hey, you need to just sit in this cubicle with these guys. And cause it was too in a cubicle. Yeah. I remember that too. Um, and I, I remember, I'm not going to mention names, but there was one more experienced designer that was slightly more volatile. And there was a, a apprentice designer that was put in the cubicle with them. Mm-hmm. And there was a, we had formed a wall or no, he had formed his own wall with like a cubicle wall that he had pulled off another cubicle so that people would not see him. Mm-hmm. And at one point that wall tipped over. And my first thought was that senior designer had killed apprentice designer. <laughs> That's all I could think. I was just like, oh my God, there's been a slaying. Yes. <laughs> okay. So we have a, we have a, a couple questions in here. You following chat at all? Uh, I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I I knew Let's at the see. time about the Luckland zones. Um, I wouldn't, I don't remember anymore though. I'm sorry. Um, cause all of the zone names were, all of the zone names were coded. I definitely don't have the server code with me anymore though. Um, and, uh, with bizarre there, I mean, I definitely remember those conversations. We ended up with bizarre and Sean definitely, you know, uh, hop in if, if I'm wrong, but, um, bizarre was a, compromise that um uh was supposed to be tilted in favor of maintaining some kind of player-to-player interaction mm-hmm. um because right the the other alternative being you know uh, whether it's an auction house or a market board or whatever um would be seen as too impersonal i think the thing that nobody really estimated correctly was people's willingness to leave their machines idle online all the time exactly instead of turning it into i mean we knew some people would do right we knew that of course there's going to be some people that leave their stuff on all the time but the rest of the people it's just going to be like the ec tunnel moved in here they'll be shouting they will be talking yeah none of that everybody just left all their shit online is that about what you yeah yeah i think that's a good good description of how that happened um and with regard to like some of the zones that didn't make the cut i think to dig into some of the lore and like what, what was the intent there? I'll continue to dig through some of those designers because one of the things I was explaining earlier was, um, we weren't structured in a way where it was like, Hey, we're a team where we're all collaborating across all of the designers and we have one cohesive plan and we're implementing it. Um, it was more of there's a general understanding of what we're trying to do. And then folks were relatively siloed. I I don't want to mischaracterize it, but it felt like given the time constraints, given the various things that are coming up, the pressures and the challenges with the tools, because the tools were a relational database that you just played around in and hope you didn't destroy everything. I I think I explained that in previous streams. Um, and some of us were very hacky in there and, um, yeah, so it was just like, there's probably not only did it, are there the zones that got cut that are obvious that got cut and that you may know about, but there's probably two or three other zones that were meant to carry a story along that a a designer had in mind for like, okay. Mm. And when it's live, blah, blah, blah. And then, not only did they not get them in in time for Luckland's launch, they left the company, right? Yeah. I mean, because almost every one of those guys left within a year, year and a half of that. Yeah. yeah. So um, we'll keep digging. We'll we'll try to maybe track down some people like Capozzi and we'll we'll see. Um, uh, Fisher, I've talked to Fisher and he, he wants to come on and he can give insight oh, cool. into Velius in that era and, and things like that. So 
Um, let's see. What else do we have in here? Uh, did many of the EQ developers move over to WoW and what reason? Good times. I know of a few uh, designers, um, a nice handful of them. Um, my opinion on that, you'll, you'll be able to ask some of them directly because a few of them are going to come in. But if I had to guess, you have a really successful game that feels more like EverQuest 2 than EverQuest 2 did. Mm-hmm. That's just my opinion. Um, yeah. And it's rooted in a great, you know, great universe and a cool world. So, and it's just up the street. Yeah. You know, so it's what, 45 minutes, an hour and a half away at the most in Irvine. So. Yeah. Yeah. I have, I, 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 this came up in conversation the other day. I, I had to check LinkedIn. I have, I believe 51 former coworker friends who are now over at Blizzard in some way or another. And yeah, bunch of course, bunches of them. Are. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mattitude 53. Thank you for the follow. Um, biggest disappointment with EQ is they stopped doing all advertising. Uh, all while got TV ads. Uh, uh, here's an interesting fact. Even in its heyday, EQ didn't do advertising. We had such a minimal like advertising budget because that money was typically going to prop up like, um, and I, I don't want this to sound disparaging at all or whatever, but the reality was during that time, because I don't think people grasp the potential longevity of a game like EQ, it was very much like a, we need to get these other games out before this thing dies. Um, it's going to die any day now because who would play a game for five years or six years when new games are coming out? I mean, I don't think we had any other model to look at. Um, and it just seemed like we were very much a company of like the next new shiny Star Wars Galaxies. Let's focus on that. I mean, when we went to E3, it was a booth like this big. Um, you know, that was like the, the, two or three EverQuest guys in a corner trying to get 20 minutes of, you know, 20 seconds of your time, Mr. Best Buy salesman. Um, and then, and then, you know, Don or somebody going around and going, that's EverQuest. You know, that shit. It's great. You know, let's go look at this other thing. <laughs> Don. Oh. Star Wars galaxies. So, yeah. Um, so we really weren't doing much advertising even before then. Let's yeah, see. Was, and that that was one thing. That was one thing that it you know, I'll, and I'll be very transparent about this too. It bugged us on the team too, right? Yeah. I remember everybody. Everybody uh, was bugged about that. Um, but you know, having having been a CEO of a company around the same size, um, and honestly, one that was kind of in the same situation where one game's revenue was having to support the development of three other games, mm. um, it's rough, right? And it's not even when you're running companies like that. It's not you're not doing that because you want to be doing that. You're doing that because you need to be doing. It. Like in our yeah. case, in in Sony's case, right? It was Sony. You know the the finance people that made the decisions at that level at the parent company wanted our little corner of the universe to be making a certain amount of money. And when they wanted to grow that way, well, there's only one way to grow that way, and that's make new games. Right. Um, and with Tryon, it was the same thing, where or it was a similar thing, where Tryon was a venture capital-backed company, and VCs, you know, the way their business model works is you are either shooting for the stars or you're crashing. We, we yeah. want one of those two results. We don't. 10x. 10x. Everything's 10x, right? If it's not 10x, it's not it's yep. not worth the capital they no, invested. Yeah. 
uh, that's how their model works. And, you know, um, uh, and so that's why we had to be working on so many games at a time. Um, it's not, you know, I, I think one of the things that I, that's definitely been hitting me over the last few years is, you know, is there an inherent incompatibility with the way venture financing works and the way the games industry works in general? And for most games, there's just not a match. Is just, yeah. what, you know, kind of what it comes down to. It works for some. Um, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna hit one out of the park and build League of Legends, it works great. Um, but if you want to build something that's got like <clears throat> a ton of you know a ton of static content, big open world, big fat team, um, you know, that's not but, venture. But even there, and this is actually getting sort of going back to I think XR uh, Monkey, your question. I think we're actually kind of getting into this a little bit, but maybe more from the business side. Um, the other thing that I think people forget is like, cause I don't fully under, I don't know the history of League of Legends and its evolution, right? Like I know the Dota, Dota mod, cause I used to play it kind of days and all that. But one of the things I've noticed over the years is companies that have, or games that have had really great longevity benef- benefited from low expectations, right? Yes. So if you, if you go, Hey, we just, and it's like EverQuest, we need 60,000 players to play for a year and we're super good. And then you get 60,000 players in the first, you know, month, you're already profitable. And when you're, when you're there, then it's like, okay, well now we can, we can bootstrap the evolution of this and kind of go forward. Even wow. I mean, you know, it, when, at least the way I remember it, when we spoke to Mark and those guys before it launched, they were kind of stressing like, all right, you guys have, we peaked at like 500,000 subs, right? And, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, if we get a million people, what do we do? That kind of thing, right? <laughs> um, and so when you look at that, I think everybody starts looking at how do you make a game that is EverQuest three years in or WoW five years in, instead of going, how do you make EVE Online, where just sort of year after year after year, constantly growing by, you know, satisfying a niche and having a good business model. Yep. So that, that's where I think like, um, you know, it's hard to make these things. And I, anybody that's going in going, Hey, we're going to give you money so you can 10 exit in a year or whatever. Yeah. It's doomed. Whereas who knows, maybe smaller niche MMOs will find an audience, especially with streaming and then catch a footing. So I'll shut up now for a second. Let me find us some more stuff. Turnip bought a car with um did i see that earlier <laughs> yeah turnip bought a car by being an ec tunnel rat and selling platinum on ebay um made 10k as sophomore in high school uh i'm glad we could be there for you <laughs> congrats it's the most support uh, most supportive statement ever job well done uh, um let's see uh, I'm so far up. So if you see something that's on the way, like I'm just trying to catch up. Um, bu- 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 bu. I'll tell you what, guys, uh, if, if you're waiting on me and you just re-asked the question, we'll see it now. Mark Gibson, thank you for the follow. I can, gra- I can grab one that I'm, that I'm looking at now. So awesome. um, do we think that EQ focused on pushing new expansions too quickly? Sean, what's your take? Uh, as I got older, I'm torn at the time. Yes. I thought it was, it was too fast. Right. But it was also, um, to be perfectly honest, we, 
we were out of there before the rhythm really got started, right? Because Luckland shipped, then it was planes of power was kind of a thing that was being discussed by people that, you know, like the, the older guys, and then they disappeared and said, Hey, here's a launch date. And we were like, what is it? Gods and shit or something. Bye. And it's like, okay, so let's figure this one out. Hey guys, anybody, have you run a team before? Um, <laughs> how do we make sure everybody shows up for work? Like, uh, you know, it's like, boom. And all of a sudden we're, you know, we got Fister, brand new producer who did not come from EQ world. It's like casual games. Great guy. I'm glad he, he showed up there. Cause he's like, guys, I don't care about any of this. That was his statement constantly. I don't play this game. This game is stupid. All of you are stupid. You're nerds. Like, but I will show you how to get to work on time. I will show you how to get shit done. I will go buy you a meal if we're working late. Um, and so, uh, yeah, and we got planes of power out and then it was like legacy of Akesha was basically, I did, you know, I was honest on this one. Legacy of, of Akesha was star Wars galaxies is still late. How do we get another expansion out in four months? Go. I, I believe that was, I believe that one resulted as an, uh, it was another Hey bro conversation. Um, and I believe it went something like, Hey bro. Um, do you think there's a way we could get it? And meanwhile, it's like October. Uh, hey, bro, do you think there's a way we could get an expansion out in February? Yes. Hopefully early February. Yeah. And we're all like, we just launched something a month ago. Uh, what? <laughs> and, yeah, it became a, a an example of, um, you know, it was it was EverQuest was really backstopping a lot of that. Uh, yeah. And, yeah, it definitely was, I, I, you know, if you ask me, I think we were asked to do too much too fast. I would have preferred. Of course. You have stuck with the, you know, because we were on a, uh, our shortest cycle was four months and our longest cycle was eight months uh, during that era. And mm-hmm. I would have loved to have kept them on the, you know, year to 13 or 14 months that uh, uh, that Kunark had had. Right? Yeah. I think it would have been great. Doing, being able to do things, Kunark scope, Kunark quality, you know, making sure you're able to address all the systems that need addressing, like making sure there's a level cap, you know, making sure there's new cool item stuff. Um, but you know, reality, reality happens. So there's the thing is, I, I, I look at it as my first reaction is, could you imagine the team that made planes of power in the time that we did getting a year and change to make a expansion? Insane. That would be crazy. But two, then I also wonder if like, maybe we would have lost some of the fire. Like, would we have, cause remember like there was that thing during a certain period with a certain expansion that came in hot when I first got there where the entire development team was like stopping for a week to play the new game that came out. Right. That kind of thing where it didn't have that same urgency until it's like, Oh my God, this thing's not going to ship. Um, so I think, yeah, it's an interesting question, but we went from like eight months to four months to, Six months, and then that cycle really happened. But then that was kind of as I was leaving. I would say um, the one thing I wanted to point out, though, was because of the four-month time constraint with LOI, it was digital only, Yeah, which was badass at the time. Yep, yep. And it was features. You guys basically, you you carried so much of the weight on the feature side. Yep, yep. Yeah, that was uh, there. It was yeah, essentially, you know, it was the 
Uh, a lot of people viewed that one, I believe, as the bank slot expansion, right? Where it was, oh, I'm going to buy it and I'm going to get the bank slot that comes with it. And I don't really care about, you know, I uh, don't really care about much else. It was all, a lot of it was uh, add features, add features to fill because, you know, nobody can make zones in that time. I think, you know, when I look back at then, I agree with what you're saying about, you know, what what would it have been like had we just had more time? I think it would have been interesting to see because we were really starting to get more organized. Um, yeah. I'm not going to, I'm not going to use crazy words like discipline. Um, but I will say we were more organized. Um, and I think that we would have been able to do much more even quality and probably even raise the bar a certain amount. Right. Yeah. Like if you yeah. look at the stuff that shipped early in the expansion, the stuff that we actually had time to iterate on was great. It was fine. It was fine, workable, functional, didn't break, you know, uh, even though there was scripting in there and everything. And then you look at the high end end game stuff that was all scripted. Um, and, you know, well, you know, we, we shipped, you know, uh, the way we shipped games back then was make a game up until the last possible minute, ship what's there on launch day. Right. Mm. And you don't get any time to iterate anything. Right. Yeah. And I, yeah. so I think having the extra time just to iterate, we could have made it much more even in quality. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, yeah. Thousand percent, Scott. Good times. I think people streaming will bring <laughs> back players to EQ again in a huge way. Um, I think it'll bring people back. I think EQ is a very streamable game. I actually, and I'm not just saying that so that you guys keep coming in and watching me stream EQ. Yeah. Um, but that would be cool. Um, let's see. Uh, I wanted to correct something here. Ixar Monkey, LOL, the guy you keep talking about uh, with the beer helmet. Hey, bro. Different guy. The guy with the beer helmet that Scott showed you is a different guy than the, uh, the Hey, bro guy. Um, mm-hmm. that guy is a wonderful giant teddy bear of a man. Yeah. Um, let's see the, there's gotta be more. There's gotta be more. The, do you know who's responsible for uh, the run speed design bards, J boots, mount implementation, run speed, AA, how to affect the gameplay? Um, I think what you just described though is probably not one guy. That's probably three to five guys over time. Yeah, probably. Um, one, oh, I, there's one, one that I see in here. Somebody's asking about Rift, right, Lars? Um, so do I think Rift is at its end? It hasn't had an expansion. Um, so yeah, so Rift, Rift, I, I love dearly. I'm even wearing my Defiant shirt. Um, and, uh, I enjoyed that guy, you know, I enjoyed working on that a whole, I wish that, you know, things could have, uh, that we could have kept making big, huge, large expansions for it. Um, we got hit with a business model shift in the middle of the entire advertising industry and user acquisition business, just absolutely imploding and being reborn as streamers and influencers. Mm-hmm. So we got caught, you know, in, uh, you know, in two bigs on that one. And then the investors, of course, chose, chose to sell the company. So I can't speak to what the new owners will do with it. Um, I think that they are in a more economical position to make new content than we were, right? We were a, you know, fairly large group of people at an office in the Bay Area. 
which is probably the most expensive place in the Western world if you, to make games. Um, and meanwhile, the new owners are, you know, in, you know, the, they are in many places that it's many, much, much cheaper to do development. So mm. will they? I don't know. Uh, would I love to see it? I absolutely would. Cool. Keebs had a question that then Carriker. Um, yeah, Carriker is in who's who's jumped on because when I saw it, I was like, I'm not sure if we can answer that one, but Carriker's got an answer. So, Keebs, can you talk about the choice to cut the level cap increase for God and how it negatively impacted the game? We know how after the content was retuned, the expansion was great, but the choice to cut the level cap increase hurt the game in a way is never recovered. Um, and character said, Keebs, a partial level increase never got past the discussion phase, and it was less than 5% of the reason Gates has tuning issues at its launch. Hey, character. Yeah, I mean, I neither one of us were there for Gates. That was basically... that Gates was the sort of expand or not sort of it was the expansion that was starting as like a thought when we had the hey bro um monday morning meeting that we discussed earlier in the stream that's that's when we got yeeted off the team to go do other stuff so um eq is great for streaming uh soul dojo yeah i agree so seahole do you um do you know the story? Yep. Uh, there's been a good article passed around on that story of the start of Errant, but do you think a small crew developing an MMO like EQ back, did back in the day could potentially do it today? Uh, my earlier ramble is I believe that's possible. It is as unlikely as any other success in this in industry, but it's definitely feasible. But Scott has also seen a lot of other stuff and may disagree. I don't know. I, I worked on a horse adventure game for girls for three years, guys, and it's profitable. It's <laughs> it's it's seen linear growth for seven years. It started small and it's been growing year over year for seven years. It is a magical horse adventure game for girls, PC primarily, some Mac support, hard install. It's this brutal install and launcher experience, and it's subscription based. There are so many niches out there, I think, that if you're smart with how you actually like spend your money, you tap into it, you get the right influencers, the thing's streamable, you'll be fine. Everybody go start making games. Yeah. Um I wanna I, I actually I've had a lot of people asking questions about Rift and some of the other games. Sure. I mean, if you've got some stuff that you want to talk about there, that would be fantastic. Sure. It's on my list. I, I tell you what, there's probably a couple that I can grab even from chat here. Um, so there, uh, uh, Erho, your comment on uh, being the first 50 in Rift, um, uh, World First 50. Hey, grats. Um, yeah, two factions and races being too similar. Um, boy, I tell you, everybody on the team would probably agree with you 100%. The only people who wouldn't would be the artists who were the animators and the... Um, uh, the manager that we had of the art team, the production guy whose job it was to try to make everything uh, work. Um, the reason that there, there was, it turns out there was a good reason for that because all of us wanted more for sure. Um, the way that weapons were done, uh, the way that the, it's a combination of the way weapons were built, the way characters were built and the way the, um, 
uh, animation system was built is that every race, every race gender combo had to have an animation done, a combat animation done for every weapon type in the game. And so basically every new time we added a race that had its own skeleton, um, it was something like 5,000 animations. And that is a lot. And so that's the races that we ended up in. There's a lot, uh, that, that's a lot of why, or ended up with, that's a lot of why you saw um, it was mirrored on both sides and they were, you know, sharing skeleton. Because doing 5,000 new animations just to ship a new race is something that you really can't, it's crazy. Yeah. And wow. honestly, not only, not only is making it crazy, performance goes to shit because you've got to keep them all loaded. Um, and so, um, yeah, so that's how, that's how we ended up like that. Um, what is my favorite zone and my favorite raid mob in EQ? Probably Plane of Hate and probably, um, I love the Plane of Hate for some stupid reason. Um, even cool. though, uh, what's that? It was cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was just, it was incredibly creepy. It was incredibly freaky. I was, you know, I was brat growing up right where i spent as much time in unrest as possible during those levels and so the idea of the creepy closed in inside places were always super super fun to me um and the fact that um i'm a big fan of gameplay where you don't necessarily always know what's coming like to me predictable polls are some of the most boring things in the world um and you always find yourself having the most fun when the shit hits the fan and you somehow miraculously manage to make it out um, those are the moments that I play multiplayer games for, and mm. Plane of Hate really good for that. Yeah. Kerika, I'm glad you're here, buddy. Um, and, and to the answer that you just kicked out on that, so with regards to Gates, because, I mean, it comes up a good bit, and like like we were talking about earlier before you got in here, Jonathan, I've been pretty diplomatic on this answer, um, and the reason why I've been diplomatic is not to not say something about the team it was more about the thing that we were joking about earlier where it was like we literally had a day to basically go back to our team which was a lot of newer designers hell we were new in and of itself like the leadership was relatively new we had been like staffing up and bringing in new designers new apprentices hiring from the outside building up the team um, and so we had a, as, as Jonathan says, you know, we've got a relatively new relative team of some very new designers at the helm. Yes. Um, perception that our high end players were looking for a real challenge after LOY and Eldon and our beta was far too unstable with graphics engine revamp progress. Um, yeah, it was just, it was an extremely tough situation for the team. Um, and you know, we, we had to go back out of that meeting and be like, oh, Hey guys, uh, by the way we're all leaving the team. Here's the keys, you know, like don't, don't worry. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Right. Like just Kevin McAllister, that shit. Like, you know, if, if, if Kevin can fight off some bandits, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure you guys will figure it out. We've got to go now. And yeah, I mean, in six months is not a long time. Um, six months for a new set of designers, and other folks, not a long time. Um, and there's always it, it, on that game and in that company, there's always something going on, right? Like, cause you're firefighting the last expansion and the last, last expansion while you're working on the next expansion. Um, and who knows, like 
I love, you know, I love what SMED has provided for me, but, uh, you know, in, in life by just existing, but there's also this guy that comes in and goes, Hey, I just played this other game that had this cool thing. Can you guys add this real quick or change this? I don't know that that helped happened with Gates, but you know, like that's just, it's a crazy life, man. So the first, uh, so I, I love him to death too. And I know he's another guy whose heart is in the right place and he very, very much loves gaming. Right. Yeah. Um, but in a sense, he's trapped by some of the same forces that a lot of us, real players are and that is you know money the the needs of the money don't necessarily align with the needs of teams or players right you know when when the money above him told him hit a home run you know he would come to us and go here's some crazy shit for you so like the first you know my my i think my favorite moment it was my first my first director's meeting on eq2 it was the first milestone meeting i had been on the team for like a day um, and I'm watching the team present to, you know, present to SMED and in the middle of the milestone meeting, um, oh, and by the way, the audio director, she had started that week. So she is brand new. Uh, it's the first time so, uh, SOE had ever had an audio director hired for a team. And, uh, uh, SMED says, you know, it would be great. This is good, but it would be, wouldn't it be better if everything talked to you? And we're like, uh, uh what now? Yeah, with voice. Like, everything should talk. It, there should be no written text anywhere in this game. Everything needs to talk. Can you guys make that happen? I have never seen this poor woman. Her name's Heather. And she, oh. in that instant, probably went from, I have found my dream job as the studio's, you know, first ever audio director to what the fuck just happened. <laughs> and that, I think, probably... Uh, was what was going through her head. And we pulled it off and did it. You know, we had to rebuild the entire content pipeline. We had to create, you know, redo the tools. We had to, you know, create tools for actually writing, um, uh, like uh, having designers uh, create branched quests that we could then push a button and generate into like studio recording scripts with notes and, you know, you know, emphasize this, pronounce this, blah, 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 and then actually go through and record voice for like 500, you know, people. Um, and by God, we pulled it off. And you know what? It was pretty cool. And I will say, uh, I was not the biggest fan of it at the time, but damned if it actually didn't turn out reasonably well, right? It's not like anybody looked at our game and went, oh, the voice is terrible. No, we actually had people complimenting it. Yeah. So Was, was that before or after the sitting on stuff was added? Wasn't, wasn't that added? <laughs> Every, everybody needs to be able to sit on stuff. What the F? It, every game I've ever worked on, ever, 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 everybody wants to sit on everything. And people don't realize how big of a pain in the ass it is to make people able to sit on everything. It's a fetish. It's a fetish. Sit on balloons, sit on cakes. Oh, wait, is that just me? I think there's a subreddit for that, actually. Um, I'm pretty sure there's a subreddit for that. Um. <laughs> hey, Sean, I got to yes. ask you. Because um, Nick wants to know in chat, what do you think the future of MMOs are, man? <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, I'm just going to keep repeating the same thing I keep saying, which is, I think there's there's a there's going to be a potential opportunity for for more 
niche, not trying to please everybody, not trying to be commercially successful. Like, Hey, what are you into? And we saw a lot of that back in the day, but it didn't have the traction, right? Like I know, I know a person I worked with her who made her own erotic Roman like era or Greek era erotic role play MMO. And it sounds like you'd be like, hmm? but with digital distribution, with influencers, with streaming, you, I think a lot of people in the chat's ears just perked up. They're like, would you stream that? The erotic, you know, Greek bath MMO. Yeah. So I think, I think it's going to be less like VR immediately kind of thing. Um, and more about just like, weird cool shit that people can get into that has the right pacing that has the right sort of like feel when you're watching people play it or whatever um yeah yeah i think i i agree with you there i I, and i think the uh the big key for the people who want to find those parts of the world where they can make you know a game like a star stable or a mm-hmm. you know, a thing that you wouldn't necessarily expect but when you look at it you're like holy crap this is crazy um you know finding a segment of super passionate people you know people who are super passionate about a topic and then just dominating that segment mm-hmm. right is you know and and as long as you can find a segment that is big enough to sustain you and grow and build new stuff and keep your players happy. Um, uh, if you can find one that's unique that you can own, you stand a good chance at winning these days because it doesn't take, yeah. it takes so much less to get a game made than it did back when we were doing it. Right. I mean, right. we were building, you know, uh, we had uh, like 20% of our whopping huge engineering team of dudes um, working on nothing but low-level rendering for like two years, right? And you know, these days, no, that just comes with the engine. You know, of course, nobody would ever screw. You know, nobody would ever have to put time in that. So you can put time in the game instead. Yeah, I mean, you've got such you've got um, things like improbable playfab, right? To look at in terms of backend, you've got Unity naturally, un, you know, Unreal. It's these pieces are there. Um, so having to make everything from scratch is definitely mm-hmm. a bit of a lifesaver. Character asked question from Zarn for Scott. Do you have any fond memories of EQ code you had to fight with? Example. Yeah. Do you, do you see this one? Um, if you go. scroll up, I, I don't, I don't see it, but I'll, I have if, if this SH added temp check to see if this makes zone crash go away. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, he actually. Okay, so number one, today I learned that I still have code in EQ's code base, so that's good to see. That's one of my comments. Um, and uh, yeah, um, I have uh, so many, so many fond memories of EQ code. Um, and I think, uh, you know, uh, Peterson, I think, was the first one to say this, uh, and mm. that was. Optimizing EQ2 is like shooting fish in a barrel, uh, or sorry, optimizing EQ is like shooting fish in a barrel because everything was built, you know, very much not with optimized in mind. Um, yeah, I mean, I think some of the, 
philosophically, EQ was a big humbling experience for me because I'm a degreed engineer, right? I learned how to program correctly. I learned the proper way to do things. And I learned that, you know, proper is good and everything else is bad. And as an engineering graduate, I clearly know everything in the fucking right. Um, and then you go get a job and the rubber meets the road and you realize that this collection of what was at the time, without a doubt, with no comparison, the single worst technologically created thing I had ever seen in the history of technology. Um, and I'll tell you what was humbling about that was because it didn't matter. It absolutely was irrelevant that it was coded so poorly because what that code created was so compelling that it, you know, the, the thing that really matters is what you're putting in front of the players. The players don't yeah. care if your code quality is crap. The only thing that matters is how great of experiences can you put in front of people. And that was a huge just bitch slap to the brain for somebody who grew up, you know, with the classic engineering term. Um, but that said, we did, and of course, we did fix a bunch of stuff in the, in, in the meanwhile. Um, I think the biggest nightmare I ever had, and this will probably only um, resonate with C++ programmers, is that, and I will type it into chat, um, we found one day that it, uh, we used to get all, we, EQ used to be, we used to joke that it was haunted. Because, right, there would be just so many bugs that, oh yeah, you know, how did this ever work? This should never have worked. Why does this work? You know, oh, and we ran into that all the time. And what we saw when we started digging into it was at the first line of the first header file that every single module included um, was exactly what it is typed into chat. Pound define const. Pound define const if, you know, basically what that means in C++ is take the word const, which is an important word in the language, it's an important word for safety. It's an important word for optimization. And what that line means is take that word out of the fucking language entirely and let anything modify anything else at any time. And if a programmer tries to make something <laughs> safe, um, forget it. It's not safe anymore. Uh, it is no longer non-changeable. Everything is And holy shit, things were all changeable all the time. Um, I... It did not even occur to me that that was possible to do in the language. And when we did that, and of course when we took it out, first, next, uh, try to do a build on the game, uh, I believe the compiler stopped spitting out errors after the first 5,000. And um, it became a concerted effort after that to put all the pieces back together again. Yeah. There, um, there, there, you, there you go, Mr. Character, if you want to pass out. The, uh, yeah, pound define const nearly made my head explode. Just send it, man. Like, I think that was a bold move. I respect whoever decided to do that. You can't <laughs> shackle me with that shit. Yeah, I mean, but that's the thing, right? And that's that was like, a, like I'm saying is, and it didn't matter that the code quality was, you know, by classical definition, garbage. It did it make a compelling game? Yes. Oh, look, it's the number one game in the world you know, the number one MMO in the world for a long time. So clearly code quality isn't exactly the end all be all. The, so with that in mind, looking at turnips, uh, ooh, what was that? Um, turnips coming here. This has come up a bunch in, in chat in the last week. Um, if you see it right up there, it's big block of text, basically, uh, 
hear me out as a way to maintain subscriber longevity. MMO producers release dev kits and lease out servers so that uh, independent teams can create custom MMO servers. Players would need to maintain their own current subscription and connect. Basically, I guess, license it out. And just real quick, let me catch up on all of the badass follows that just took us right past 300, which is insane. Thank you. Uh, Mark Gibson, I don't know if I got you a while back, buddy. Sorry about that. Um, Codename Baconator. Kaizen, a healthy beetroot salad. And Soul Dojo. I love the names. So, what do you think? Leasing? What is it? Licensing licensing out the code? Or what would that be? I'd love it, personally. I mean, I am... The, the thing that I've, you know... Um, the thing that I've become a huge fan of over time is obviously player modding. Um, mm-hmm. Right? I mean, we started... You know, we started some of the first modding with letting people do their own skins in the UI... And then modding in, in MMOs became client-based. Um, I would love, love, love to see server-based modding as long as it's, you know, shunted off into its own worlds, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's you know, like if you're playing Diablo, um, you can play your own local player where you can hack it to death or, you know, back in the day. I don't know if, I don't know if you can do it with current Diablo. Um, you know, or you can play the online character and the online character is stored on the servers and you're playing the official version. Um I love that kind of model for games where, excuse me, sure, there's an official version of the team that the team takes care of. It's Minecraft, actually. Minecraft is a great example of this. Um, uh, you know, Minecraft has official vanilla Minecraft, but Minecraft also has this entire ecosystem of mod packs and servers and, you know, leasable servers and all of that. Um, I love I, I love that model. I, I don't th- I don't think we're we're at the stage right now where it works with two thousand player or five or ten thousand player worlds, but I definitely think it works with hundred. Yeah, and I'm not familiar with the game that um, Bunny was just mentioning, but she said uh, Legends of Area are already doing something like that. That's cool. I know the name. I don't. I, I haven't played with the game much. Though. Yeah, and. I mean, it's it's not the same as like because when you're describing uh, when you're talking about Minecraft, I was thinking about Roblox and development within that and stuff like that. But I think it's just interesting to take something that's already established that people are familiar with and going, okay, cool, yeah, and really, truly, in in that sense, it really is modding as opposed to giving somebody a platform or a tool set. It's like they have a starting point. It's EverQuest. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's some interesting stuff going on right now with in the in the Roblox alike space where you have like you know Roblox is obviously the you know import anything that's in the game, remix it, and then ship it as your own game on their platform. Uh, there's a group called Manticore that's up here in the Bay Area that's mm. doing something similar on top of Unreal right now. So they're actually trying to do it. Um, it's um, like uh, um, uh, so it's Unreal based. Uh, server-based, ser- I believe server-based gameplay. I don't think it's blueprint client gameplay. Um, and they're trying to make make they're trying to make the act of making these games something that a non-coder can do in right. hours or days, as opposed to teams taking years. And so it's you know it's pretty bold. I love when people try to experiment with stuff like that because it's like you know. Stuff like that, right? Nothing is ever guaranteed to, holy crap, that's going to turn the world on, you know, its ass. Um, But it would be cool if it turned into something. Right. Yeah. I I do think there's a business opportunity there, too, because, yeah, you're you're providing. So in the case of something like Ikea, if it would be put out in in that manner, um, 
if it's technically feasible even uh you know let the people that are modding it get their cut you get your cut um and if it's doing well then it's it's better than nothing right like um and i know that uh people are starting to generate a little bit of money uh, making stuff in roblox it's interesting to see that evolve so a friend um, of, so a, a friend of mine was uh you know how roblox you know roblox makes their money largely off of you know it's players are making the stuff roblox you know gets paid for the uh gets paid for people buying tokens players spend tokens in the games the creators get a cut of what gets spent in their game. So a friend of mine was in charge of uh, a group that was uh, community management for their high, their high end creators and their high end creators. um, Just fascinating to me because you have literal kids who are 16 years old who are in, you know, discord channels talking about how they all own a test at 16 because of their Roblox game. Um, there are people making some reasonably good money doing uh, doing games on Roblox right now. And more yeah. power to them. I mean, I, right anything, that gets, uh, anything that gets more creators out there and lets creators turn it into a career if they want, you know. Hell, that's what, that, that's what I did. I just didn't do it with my own tools. Right. Let's see. Uh, Rustio is mentioning Daisy, Total, uh, Total War, Warhammer Two. A lot of games are doing this now via Steam Workshop. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. It's uh, I think it's just it's here to stay, and and we'll start to see more and more companies actually leverage it from the onset. Um, Turnip, thank you for running that by Scott. Now I can sleep easy tonight, knowing I. Got to see a former CEO for a major publisher comment on that. <laughs> cool. What else do you guys got? It's funny. It's funny. A lot of stuff that comes up, it's like so specific and technical that I'm like, Scott may know that, but you're, you're asking a question from like 17 years ago about maybe a specific piece of code. So I don't know. We can give you anecdotes. We can tell you about wrestling we can tell you about, you know, uh, all of the, the various sort of like goings-ons in a general sense, but I don't know. Who came up with the idea of AA? So this is one where I thought that was John, John Troy. Um, I know a lot of this, those things were, when I say who did a thing, it usually meant either who championed it, who implemented mm-hmm. it, or who was the guy that was like, hey, I have an idea. But the team was usually pretty involved it's funny it's funny you bring that one up so aa was actually the first thing i worked on on everquest um it was the uh the first um i I wasn't the person designing it but it was the first thing where todd schmidt was developing the back end and they had no ui for it and i had to learn the old velius ui system to build the UI for AAs, um, the you know the little the little button that you would push that would create a hot bar or a hot bar button you could put on your macro key that that whole thing yeah I coded that side of it on Todd's back end and I have zero idea who did this for it. You know I, what? It's older than I thought actually. I, now that you say that, I yeah. think it, it pre it predated that era. 
and I'm thinking about just who did a lot of the work in developing the actual AAs mm -hmm. themselves. Yep. Yeah, I did, a, I did a bunch of the coding stuff on that one myself. That was actually the most fun code I ever wrote in my life was when I got to do actual gameplay combat and magic system stuff for EQ1. Um, and I think you're right in that it was John in that era um, because really he was, remember, he was like, we we didn't have the concept of a systems designer on that. Team. Right. He was like the first dude. Yeah. It was so amazing. The coders were doing all the systems design before that, right? Because um, he came in, he was a player. He was another high-end player. Um, that um, the guy that had the beer hat on earlier, uh, if you didn't see that, maybe somebody clipped it. Um, so he was our creative director, um, Rich. Again, great, great guy. I love that guy. Um, he was like, I've got this dude in my guild who's really a badass. Um, he just got his CS degree, and he knows he knows a ton about the theory craft of our game. Um, and we could probably hire him tomorrow, and he would already be one of our better you know like designers system designers just based on his knowledge of the game we we're like okay brought him in and john no bullshit you know another super sweet guy but I, I remember him coming and going the code does not work that way and somebody i'm not going to name names going how can you even know that like where did you come from who are you he's like right. just if you let me get into code, I will copy and paste what I'm talking about, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> and, uh, he, sure enough, he found it and, yep. um, him arriving when he did allowed us to deal with things like, you know, the hard caps that we were running into. Um, the fact that we, there's so much going on during that period. We ran out of space for an item database. I think we'd hit like 65,000 or whatever. There's like all this weird random shit that we had to address. Yeah. Um, yeah. So God bless John. He eventually became a programmer. Yeah. He's uh, such a good guy. He was, I, I was one of those people who at the time was super reticent that we were bringing in a human being to actually begin working on systems who wasn't going to be a programmer. Um, and man, we could not have had a better person because, you know, uh, smart guy, nice guy, you know, uh, just awesome to work. So and actually, happy with that. Damn good writer. He did some stuff in pop that I remember I read one of his quests. Yeah, he. I, I was shocked because he always did systems. And so he's like, I want to do some quests and stuff. And he did something. That's maybe awesome. it was with Justice or something like that. When I read the quest, I was like, man, I'm kind of, I got it in the feels a little bit. Like this was one of the, you know. Um, did John Troy do Justice Trials? He may have. I remember him Actually, being you know in Justice. What? It's funny because now that I hear the name John Troy next to the the word justice, that yeah. sounds super familiar. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty sure he did. Um, That's cool. Let's see, one thing I want to check, Scott. We didn't talk about this up front. How much time do you have? Oh, I don't worry. You're good. Okay. Like, I have a call at like one my time, so right. don't worry. I'm I'm good for a bit. Yeah, that's late our time. So, um. Is it me or am I the only one on edge due to his chair being my character being out food and hungry? <laughs> am I sitting over here being Yeah, I'm hungry. Yeah, I haven't had dinner yet. It's 920 in Sweden. Um, I did harm touch a rat. Yes. <laughs> I was asserting dominance. Yes. Oh, <laughs> uh, what else you guys got? 
I can grab one. I can grab one. I'm still way back in scroll. Oh, cool. Of stuff up here. Uh, everyone has that spotlight of spotlight memory of EverQuest that comes to mind. What's your favorite memory playing or creating uh, in EQ1, and what class did you prefer to play as well? So I uh, played uh, a warrior was my first character, and then later on I took a wizard and an enchanter to max, and then I was Thanks. playing the wizard mostly. Um, but uh, um, uh, loved, fell in love with with playing an enchanter when I played uh, on, most recently on the. Fresh Start server um, had to play an enchanter because apparently uh, with the current balance of the Fresh Starts, uh, pets are ridiculous, or at least pets were ridiculous. So my little tiny enchanter pet was apparently not useless. So that was fun. Oh, and then what did uh, uh, favorite memory uh, in creating? Uh, I would uh, probably, it was probably the AAs, like I mentioned. Coding AAs was some of the most fun because we actually got a chance to make abilities that did more than here's your old spell, but bigger. We actually got a chance to add new functionality. So if like, if you remember, <clears throat> we did like an animate dead thing where, you know, Necromancer could point at an arbitrary corpse and then animate it. Um, I coded that all from scratch because I could, and it was a hundred percent custom code just for that one AA. Um, you know, when the correct way would have been to find a way to tie it into the spell system, which would have been a nightmare in the the architecture at the time. But because I was the one doing it, I was able to pick interesting things and make sure every class got an interesting thing to play. Mm -hmm. Um, And being able to do that uh, was just a blast because people got to see my character gets amazing new ability. And that's, you know, a a fairly happiness-inducing moment. Right on. Yeah, it's it's weird because as I see questions, um, there's so many of the things that came up during that time that were just either player-facing technical changes or improvements that I figured there would be no end to the list of random fixes and shit to discuss. (laughs) Since you guys designed the game, did you ever... Did you have to hold yourself back on completing quests to allow the player base to discover them first. The way that we held ourselves back on that was to put uh, so much grind in them that there was no way that we'd be able to compete because we had to work during the day. <laughs> that sounds about right. I see I see one up here uh, for me again. So what am I up to these days is work. What's next for me? Um, yeah. So after, you know, after we sold the company, um, I decided to consult and start working with startups. So I have been out trying to help other people. Uh, the one that I'm working on right now, uh, a lot of the stuff that I'm working on is super behind the scenes business stuff. So you won't really see, uh, at least as long as I continue to do this, you won't really see Scott Hartsman is doing blah. Like right now I can tell you Scott Hartsman is writing a document that somebody will, hopefully approve, which will then help a new developer you've never heard of land their first funding, right? So it's uh, not quite the same as ship's cool thing, but it is. Uh, it takes advantage of a lot of stuff that I learned in this last job to try to help, you know, new developers get off the ground, uh, help existing developers get funding, which, you know, is challenging and tricky. Um, and I like being able to help other people do that because... Um, 
game developers and money have a really weird history together where they tend to get screwed or taken advantage of by people who provide said money. So being able to help connect people with, you know, sources that will do well for them and help them ship games is, um, it's not as fun as shipping stuff, hands down. It's nowhere near as good. Um, but it feels like it's worth it. And it's, uh, so I'm doing that for now. It's cool too, because then you also get a bit of variety, right? Like shipping stuff is such a commitment. It's nice to work with, you know, and that's something I've been looking at as well. Like it's for me to really want to commit to another two or three year thing, you know, it's like, it's gotta be special, but the idea of being able to help people on a number of fronts or work on a number of things. Yeah. That sounds really fun, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, and that, well, and that's, that's kind of where, you know, where Corona really screwed this year because this, you know, when I do, when I'm doing this kind of work, um, my year really starts in like February with, it's, it's all about conferences, right? It starts in February with dice mm. and it runs through like, you know, um, you know, toward, you know, toward packs and all of the conferences in between. And so now this year with like none of them happening, it's been, you know, it's put a, a bit of a damper on, uh, on, you know, just getting out and meeting people. Um, yeah. but you're right. When things are working well, the whole meeting lots of different people and getting exposed to lots of different ideas is one of it's, it's actually the most fun part for sure. Yeah. Are what is y'all's age appropriate beverage of choice? Given my age, um, Pepto-Bismol. Yeah. There's a great fiber drink that they have here. <laughs> it helps with the pooping. <laughs> you get older. That's not that's not a given, buddy. Um, let's see. Turn up that stuff's horrible. Um. Well, while we're here, Wolverine, thank you for the follow. We didn't forget you. Um, what are your thoughts on and or connections to EverQuest next? I'm sad that it never came to life. I have no connections to it. I was just an observer. I was already way gone. Scott? Yeah. Tenille, thank yeah, you. Yeah, I was, I was way gone at the same time. time. I, I'm not sure. I mean, truth be told, from the outside, I wasn't a hundred percent sure of what it was trying to be. Just as a just as a fan, right? I just was like, yeah. you know, I know that if a new EverQuest something comes out, the person in you know, the, I will love it as a human being, and I will be excited about getting into it. But I don't know that it got developed to the point where there was a solid. Oh, this is why I'm going to love, it, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I would have liked to have seen it get there. Yeah, I. You know, I'm always going to be of the, the mindset, like anything EQ related, I want to see succeed. Um, and even sort of EQ adjacent, a lot of questions come up about Pantheon. And I'm like, well, what are my thoughts? Um, I, I need to catch up. I've been a bit out of the loop on it, but I've been thinking about it a lot in the hopes that, you know, maybe that is my new EQ, you know, um, and so when I saw EQ next, I, I, I was curious as well. It's like, this seems ambitious in, in sort of the, like the, it, it, 
to me, I got the impression it was like, uh, it's the thing that you pitch to a publisher to get funded, not the thing that you deliver. Um, and that was my concern, honestly. Um, let's see. We need more streams like this. Uh, I'm going to mess your name up. Get on, get on. Oh my God. Get on Allah. I, I try to say everybody's name and we, we don't make it sometimes. Um, there will be more streams like this. That's the plan. Um, and we can even have people like Scott back on over time. And maybe even if I can figure out how to make two screens appear on my screen, we can have multiple people talking. Um, and then the person in the beer hat can go, Hey Scott, why did you, uh, why did you show me in a beer hat? <laughs> Once again, he's on here somewhere. I don't think he's in chat. He's that, be my new desktop background. I, I'm not sure he's ever going to leave. I love that guy so much. Um, <laughs> Tinlail, thank you. Horse King, thank you. Man, four or five years. We had lunch up when he was working up here. I don't even know where he is anymore. He used to work up here at Crystal. Um, and yeah, we had lunch a while back. And funny enough, um, Haybro uh, is up here running a studio for Paradox. And I mean, we're, we're good friends now. Uh, That's right. We're reasonably good friends. And I like him, I like him a lot. Um, but yeah, he's right up here on the other side of the bay. Yeah. Um, I saw Rich at, I saw Rich when I was in Hamburg, when I was working in Germany. Um, oh, awesome. They came through and I just, we hung out and caught up. It was awesome. He is very much still the same guy. You got a couple more questions in here. Uh-oh. What'd I miss? You've got at least two questions. Do you, do you need a break? Cause I need to run and grab a drink. Okay. Are you good? I'll tell you what, you run and grab a drink. I will actually pay attention to chat, answer a couple of questions. Then we will tag out, and I will go get a drink. Awesome. So cool. plan. Go, man, go. That is why. Um, how many developers develop Carpal Tunnel? Well, I don't think any developer is in with with the goal of developing Carpal Tunnel. Um, but uh, the you know it's something that I've seen definitely come up. Um, I would say greater than zero times. And there's always been one or two folks on the team that are in bracers 24 um, seven. But uh, you know, I think one, one of the things that we did a try on to help with that was uh, we actually had an ergonomist um, and we had an ergonomic specialist that would come in for anybody who wanted one and do things like um, adjustable footrest to make sure your feet are in the right place uh, she would do the chair adjust. She would do the keyboard adjust. She would tell us when we needed to order. People knew, um, hey, this person needs a um, a special thing. Go buy it for them. Um, this person really needs a standing desk. Um, and so, yeah, we, we having an ergonomist helped. Uh, I think helped definitely bring some of that down some. And I think office chairs over the years have kind of begun to suck a little less. Um, and honestly, as monitors went from gigantic 27 inch crts or you know 20 inch crts down to flat panels people are able to push their monitors farther back on the desk which causes them to be able to rest their hands more flat on their keyboard which i think is helpful so that's just a total random segue so there you go 
EQ was truly a pioneer from a technical perspective. Were there any technical challenges that you couldn't overcome at the time but could have nowadays? Uh, that's a very good question, and absolutely yes. And they would all be related to server horsepower, at least at the time. So uh, server horsepower, we were at the time I was on that game, we were shipping on Pentium 3s, um, single-core Pentium 3 servers with a couple of processors in them. Um, and so, like... At, at the time we shipped Eldon, we had to go in and do a massive redo of the way um, hate lists are processed on NPCs because in order to spin up the number of instances that we would need to spin up to be able to do Eldon, um, we you know we, we would literally would not have been able to do it on those crappy 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 CPUs um, given you know uh, given the way everything was built and so in order for us to go out and ship an expansion we had to redo an entire system um and so like if you contrast that world with like what we shipped in rift where we did um you know the biggest zone event we ever did was i believe uh like five thousand active npcs 700 active players in some cases the majority of them not just within awareness range of each other but all actually hitting the same target um that was, I mean, yes, it was a drastically re-architected system, but it was also just pure server horsepower um, and multi-threadability and all. How do I feel about streams and Q&A as opposed to interviews on Gary? I haven't thought about Gary in a long time. I liked Gary. Gary was a good guy. Um, uh, these are more fun. Uh, I've always been a big fan of uh, doing Q&A with people who care. Um, in the case of like a game breaker, you're talking to just one person who's a gamer. Um, so that's still cool because at least they know what it is that you're making. They are one of your audience. They understand your audience. Um, and so, but if you start talking about like um, bigger games press who don't necessarily know your game, they're not as enthused about it. Um, that's definitely less fun. I would rather answer nitty gritty stuff for people who are enthused. That's fun, right? By the way, Sean, are you back? I can't even tell. Oh, why, thank you. I'm apparently a champ. Appreciate that. Yeah, um, I'm back. I, I, I was chewing a carrot, so I turned my mic off. Oh. And, um, again, I getting the fiber. Um, the So actually, I, th- I, I want to hit one more before I duck out for a minute. So all Absolutely. the server launches have been kind of rough and bumpy uh, due to a limitation game and client or due to server. I think, and look, I know that this might not be the most sympathetic answer. I am kind of impressed that they're able to pull off what they are pulling. Like the fact that they even added a queue to that code base and made it work in order for queuing to, you know, work uh, at the level that they added it for TLP. Um, I thought that was cool, and I'm pretty sure I sent a note on LinkedIn to the current TD at the time saying, good job. Um, and uh, um, so, I, I mean, I'm, I'm still amazed by what they can get out of it. Um, and so if, they're, if they are bumpy and then function on relatively short order, I would take that as a sign from God that the team is doing amazing miracles behind the scenes every day. Um, and, uh, all right. Um, oh, that's fine. Uh, send all the requests you like. Sean, I'm going to 
step away for a sec and uh, all you. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. Let's 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 see if we can uh, look around his room real quick. What has he got in there? Let's be creeps. Um, I mean, Hartsman just answered the server question, and I'm glad he backed me because that was my thought as well. It's like, man, at this state, the fact that they're still able to pull this off, this is a uh, this is pretty amazing. Nick Hotz was the. Uh, was the unannounced MMO FPS in your bio with SOE? Yes, it was. Um, was it the Planetside engine? Yeah, it was a reskin, basically. Um, I think, I, I don't think there's any harm in discussing this at, at this point. Um, we basically, uh, we were asked if we could do something with Planetside because um, there was investment in the engine. Uh, we thought it was cool. One of the things that we really... Um, kind of looked at was if Planet Side had been a, a you know a slightly different game, and don't get me wrong, the reason why I hopped on the chance to go work on the Planet Side team was I was playing at the time. I really dug it. Um, I thought it was super cool. The bridge battles were something, especially the combined arms bridge battles that you didn't see at the time. I think it's more common now, but the fact that you could be infantry while there's armor rolling around and drop pods are coming in, and you've got little mini mech dudes running around and people like providing air support, all of that fighting over a bridge for an hour. That was badass. So I was, I was mainly looking at the fact that I was coming from it from like a content development and live game, um, uh, background. And it was like thinking of, all right, so how do we take what we learned in EverQuest, move it into here. And I also wanted to make something that was more modern, um, so the unannounced MMO FPS, and I still have the concept art and stuff in the garage, um, uh, was essentially, it was a sort of near, near future, uh, mercenary MMO FPS using planet side as the base. Um, and cause I was super into mercenaries they weren't they weren't really a known thing at the time right like people weren't discussing like pmcs and no one knew who blackwater was and all this stuff so but you know the game mercenary hadn't launched yet i don't believe um the console game so but i thought yeah this would be pretty badass um so what we did was we straight up jacked some other games not to i won't say which ones at the time but they had some cool desert combat maps and stuff um imported into planet side had the reavers and you know the quads and everything else there um we we did some things that as players it was like uh all right so the guns feel kind of inaccurate and floaty it takes forever to kill anybody so uh one of the other designers there was two of us uh a guy named Terrence and I got in there and we tweaked the lethality. So we made it so that it was not quite escape from Tarkov lethality, Russ deal, but Nick, maybe I, I, I always feel bad putting people's full names out here. So I can neither uh, say confirm or deny that it was Terrence. E. Um, 
And so we, uh, yeah, made the, made the bullets less spongy. We made the turn radius a lot faster. We made the jumps a lot tighter. Just made it feel like a little bit more of like an actual shooter. Um, and yeah, we, within a few weeks, we were able to have some pretty decent sized, uh, PVP. And so, yeah, um, I, I thought it could be, dude, Terrence is an extremely good dude. Um, one of the nicest gentlemen in the world. Uh, and so it was, it was fun. The team, um, we we just kind of went at it, but it, it was challenging at the time. I think it was hard to get buy-in from, um, you know, everybody we needed to get buy-in from that mercenaries were cool and were going to be a, a thing. Um, and we also found that the engine was not as easy to work in as we would have liked. It was uh, like the just the UI itself was super expensive. Right. It was just, it was kind of a a resource hog. So, but yeah. Oh yeah. If you're working on an emulator, then you know about the challenges with the UI, Nick. And I mean, it was stuff like that. That was the, the gotcha more than anything. So, um, but yeah, so we, we worked on that for a, a few months and then it just realized it wasn't going to, it wasn't going to be a thing. And so the project, uh, was canceled. Um, and then I think I, I honestly, I think I just bounced around and like pitch green light process hell for a few months. I remember there being a period where I actually was getting a decent amount of EverQuest done because I just kind of landed in an office somewhere in the EQ building that had been emptied, but it was like one of those, 15 man offices and it had one desk in there and me and I would just come in and I would take a little nap. I'd wake up, I'd play some EverQuest, <laughs> stretch, do some prison yard pushups, you know, like, and then, uh, the, the producer, uh, yeah, he was what executive producer on EQ2 before we went to Austin, uh, John. Yeah, they they went to Austin uh, to, I guess, help out that studio there. And then he was like, hey, we're doing this superhero thing. Are you interested? And, yeah, then I, I shortly thereafter bounced over to Austin. Do you think Daybreak can make a new product, like take both Best of EQ, EQ2, and make an EQ3? In theory. Yeah, I think so. I don't, uh, to me, it's, it's feasible, but that's at the level that I would say it's not, uh, I don't know what their plan is or their, their budget or their dreams in life. Character? <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Hey. By the way, Sean, I had to, since I'm sure you miss all of this have sitting in storage in Texas, uh, I had to had to come over with a couple of more fun ones. So uh, the original EQ2 collector's edition in the tin with the uh, um, still still wrapped. It's never nice. been opened. So uh, I'm sure that'll be worth uh, six and a half dollars someday. And uh, this one I did not know I still owned. Um, 
I, you probably remember when they had these things made. It's an EverQuest Z board. Do you remember these? Oh my god! Overlays that uh, were like you know making games or playing games is super complicated, and you have like uh, we we need to make custom keyboard overlays for people so they can like see which buttons do which in the game. And uh, yeah, so apparently this was a thing at one point in its life. And okay, cool. Somebody in chat owned one. Um, but uh, yeah, I uh, uh, basically have like three bookshelves that are essentially a shrine to the last 20 years, just full of stuff like that. And uh, yeah, I, I did not know, did not even remember that Z boards were a thing until earlier today. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> So it's good that we found the customers. Uh, sorry, Scott. I've just been ambushed in game. And no, 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 no. go for it, go, man. All right. It's, this is way better with a moving background, anyway. Be as ambushed as you want. And my harm touch is down, so <laughs> I really don't know what to do. I guess I could auto attack. Is that how that works? I was like, why is he not dying? I stood up. <laughs> so somebody's asking is sometimes the goal of making money the worst to have in the industry how hard is it to convince investors uh having an actual passion is almost as important as money um so from my point of view um i wouldn't say it's the worst it's just that it's it, it's more a matter of to what degree is the worst right um because you want to make enough money to pay everybody you want to make enough money to pay enough people to add more to the game. And ideally, you want to make enough money to also, you know, make your next game. Um, the problem really doesn't come, doesn't come from that. The problem comes from, like I said earlier, when you have to make enough money to do too much. To mm. Everything needs to be a home run or, you know, go big or go home all the time. Um, cause I think players kind of lose out when that has to be your goal because the players aren't in it for go big or go home. The players are in it for just give me a good goddamn game. Yeah. Um, and so I think the interests are just out of alignment as big is really the bigger thing. Um, when it comes to convincing people about passion, um, even the money people, um, will absolutely, they may not understand what we're talking about, but they can recognize passion when they see it. And they've 100% of the time required. Um, they would not, nobody would, nobody would invest in anything unless a team could put together a super compelling pitch and sound very convincing. Um, you know, almost, you know, almost religiously convincing, uh, about what it is that they're building and why it's going to work. And holy crap, this is the greatest thing ever. Um, so I mean, the, the, you know, the, the, I'd say the alignment is there on passion for sure. The problem is, you know, some investors want are in line with you when it comes to the amount of money you need to make and what works for your players and other investors are not necessarily. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, my last CEO, the CEO at the last company I was at, um, really made a point of explaining to the, the team, like how governance works and how like, all right, so this is where the money comes from. And then these are the people that represent those people. And then there's the CEO, you know, and they kind of worked way down. So it's not like to kind of dispel the, the belief that, um, you know, there's, 
there's this one person that's making all of these decisions and they're greedy and they don't care. And it's like, hmm, everybody reports to somebody that money came from somewhere. Um, and often the people that have the money to kick something like this off, their interest sometimes it's, Hey, I really have a passion for this. I'm really interested in like seeing this thing happen, or I love this, this segment and I want to make sure they have a nice game or whatever. But at the end of the day, they probably didn't get that money from just being completely altruistic. It's like, yeah, they know how to make money and they want more money. And yep. so, um, the team on the other hand, like, I don't think there's anything wrong with companies making money. I think you, you summarized it nicely, right? It's the goal of making money. It's not the worst goal. If you're doing it strictly for the money, it usually shows in your product and it's lifeless and it's shit anyway. Um, oddly, those games can still make money, um, especially in a free to play space or whatever. Who knows? Um, you know, it's like min maxing. There's a lot of interesting min maxing of like CPIs and everything else to, to essentially find a way to spend money to make money. But the team, I think it's good for them to make money. Like I, I think, you know, the team should be doing something they're passionate about doing something they're proud of, but hopefully they do make money, man. Like you don't get a lot of opportunities in life to, to, you know, like have that kind of success. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't begrudge any team from that. I just, I, I, it's too rare. And not only, not only is making money rare, teams having equity in what they're building, teams getting profit sharing, teams getting royalties. Um, I would say that one of the things I will always say about Sony that, uh, uh, you know, I can't say enough about the fact that I felt like in those early days when it was crazy, um, I was treated very fairly. I felt like we got, you know, good compensation during that and recognized for our efforts. Um, so it was hard working seven days a week sometimes, um, and putting in all those hours. But then, you know, I really felt like not only did we see it in the fans going, Oh shit, we love this. But then, you know, we also got some cash. That was nice. Mm -hmm. So, So here's one. When it comes to my the stuff that I'm doing with helping developers, specific genre, um, I tend to look at things that I am most familiar with, and I tend to not get involved with things I'm super not familiar with. So, for instance, right, if somebody wants to go pitch a mobile match three company, I am, you know, uh, it's not a space that I'm super excited about, and honestly, it's not a space that I'm really well connected in. So it's not something that I would spend time on. Um, you know, one of the companies that I'm, this particular company that I'm talking with is, uh, uh, they're doing an ARPG and I love ARPGs and, you know, they seem like cool people. So, you know, I, I know people and that's, you know, I know people who are, who are comfortable there. And, um, yeah, so it's, it, I tend to stick with stuff that I personally enjoy, um, and avoid stuff that I either, you know, don't, uh, I am not excited about or would actively like, for instance, um, and this may sound weird coming from a guy who had a company that was as free to play as Tryon was for so long. For instance, if somebody were to say, Hey, we're doing a thing and we're doing it all based on loot boxes, I would say, thank you. I'm kind of done and hope to never 
sell a rare drop loot box, you know, chase item again, as long as I live, thank you very much. Um, you know, there, uh, you know, so I, I think there are some things that I remain a fan of, you know, I, uh, as a, as a personal play, you know, it's just as a, as a, as a player myself, when it comes to monetization, I think you can do sane and smart and, um, equitable free to play. Uh, and I think you can go way off the other end of the scale and do crazy exploitative free to play. So I would also avoid the exploitative side in favor of and when some a lot of the time that immediately gets a follow up of what do you def- what's equitable to you. Um, I think there's two great examples in um, the kinds of games that I play most: Warframe and Path of Exile. I'm you know could not you know could not be happier with their models, and I wished you know I wished that when we were doing our conversion of Rift back in the day, actually that our game design would have fit one of their models. The problem is, right, it's business model isn't something you can just staple onto a game. It's business model is built into the how you choose to what items exist, what characters exist, what drop rates exist. You know, it's it's basically the business model, if you do it correctly, is very much in the game. Yeah. Um, and uh, their games are built around the business model for them, and they just did a phenomenal. Yeah, and Frank, I, Frank, I know exactly what you're saying right there. Frank says he quit Rift when raid gear was purchasable. Um, we did a thing in Rift where we allowed people to buy catch-up gear, so you could never buy the best gear, but you could buy um, gear that, you know, ostensibly was to let you catch up to your raiding friends so you could go earn the same drops they're earning. Um, you know, it's kind of a, a late-life stage thing. Yeah, minus one tier, exactly. Um, and the challenge that we kept running into with Rift is that Rift had a long history of... One hundred percent of cosmetic, the best cosmetic items in the game were, and, and or, or or earnable in the game, right? Where if you look at the way some of these other free to play games are built, like Path of Exile, for instance, if you want to look cool, you're spending money, period, because everything that drops in game looks like crap, and that's a design decision, right? And it's a design decision that fits their business model wonderfully. Um, and I shouldn't say looks like crap; that's hyperbole. It's not the cool stuff. The cool stuff is all in the store. Um, but when we, like on Rift, for instance, um, I believe that like 3% of our total cash was coming from cosmetic items. Um, and we would not have made a fraction of a single payroll on 3% of our cash. So, you know, if you want a game to stay live, you have to find ways for money to come in. And yeah. so we, we did all of the stuff that we could do um, to make sure that we were able to keep the game rolling and keep development rolling without going too far into crazy town and it's always a balance and yeah for sure yeah it's it's challenging dude Um, and the team feels it sometimes you know like it's like because they're they're on that balance board with you um and yeah i have i i i gotta i gotta talk to frank again though sean i hate to talk yeah yeah definitely um you know he absolutely loved rift and thought the tree system was fantastic uh, well, thank you. Um, so I have some funny things to say about that. The tree system, uh, I appreciate that a lot because that was me and uh, another gentleman riffing on a whiteboard is how that whole system came around. So thank you. Um, I loved it too. Um, Chloromancer, the gentleman who was responsible for that class is, I believe, in this chat, and he hates the name Chloromancer. So thank you for complimenting his least favorite named class. 
um, that is fantastic. Cool. Jay Sega, Marika EQ, thank you for the follows. And there is a question up here. I was trying not to miss it. Where did he go? Grick said, do you still find yourself doing seven days, 16 hours a day, work weeks now? Would you advise younger workers to do that? Uh, Grix, I think you missed the part really early, I think even before Scott got here, where I was talking about life in Sweden and Germany. Um, yeah, we don't do that here. We, uh, I, in Germany, it wouldn't be legal, I think. Um, and in Sweden, I think people would just freak out and just look at you awkwardly and like scuttle off. Um, no, I haven't. I, I put in long hours on stuff I enjoy for myself, but now work has been pretty nine to five for the last five years. And I, I would say I, I, it's the crunching is a tough one for me to give advice on because I don't know where I would be if I didn't crunch early on. Um, and I'm not saying it's good or bad. I just, if it was my company, if I felt like I had equity, if I felt like I was being fairly compensated for that crazy shit. What do you think, Scott? Yeah, yeah I, I, I'm kind of with you on that one. Um, I, uh, when I was running a company, I was crunching, though not as bad as our EQ days. My kind of crunch was more, oh, I have to talk to certain people at 8 a.m. my time, and now I have to other people at midnight my time and I might as well just work every minute in between because you know I you know I need to stay busy and I'm broken that way um but at the same time I was super proud of our time on Rift because unlike our time at Sony uh for both EQ1 and EQ2 we got that game out the door at the quality we did with zero required ass in seat crunch time and that was really important to me um there was overtime. I mean, right. It's, it wasn't a nine to five, you know, nine to six, um, uh, uh, paradise. It, it wasn't that. Um, but we never did the thing where we did No, everybody is in the office six days this week. Everybody is in the office 12 hours a day. Um, and, uh, we, we were able to do, you know, we were able to pull that off, um, largely because we had the flexibility to go out and do a fundraise to buy us more time. And it was literally raise money to get cash to purchase time, which is what let us do that. And we maintained that zero crunch, um, zero required crunch all the way through my whole time there. And um, I think that for younger people, um, a lot of it comes down to what Sean said. You have to make the decision for yourself. Is it important to you? Because you're going to get good experience. I think the responsibility, though, really sits more with the people who are in positions like Sean's and mine, which is we're the ones who are putting down the rules, saying we are not crunching, right? Or there is an emergency and we need to deal with this emergency, but then, dear God, please go home right afterward when the emergency's over. And I think that um, there's a lot more transparency around which studios behave rationally around stuff like that, and which studios still don't. Because there are, you know, you don't, uh, you know, your opinion about Kotaku can be whatever it is, but their articles on crunch culture are, and which studios are which, are usually 100% on the money. So it's easier for people to educate themselves which places, you know, what they're signing up for. 
Yeah, and and also don't take my responses of "Hey, I live in East Country, so it doesn't happen" as a disregard for like in a leadership position. I I'm also not going to do it to people. Mm-hmm. Like you can just fire me. I don't give a shit. Like um, it, it's my job as a leader to go back up to. And at, at this point, you know, my boss, whether it's most recently just the CEO. Um, or if I'm at a different level, I've got to go up to whoever my boss is and, and go, guys, this is bullshit. Like, we need to get better at uh, scheduling. We need to deal with these issues. What is leading to the crunch? And if it's, hey, a sudden change of plans or whatever, no. <laughs> like, if we're going to change the plan, then we're going to change the timeline because um, people aren't going to, you know, I'm not going to force that crunch on people because the thing I will say is um, my period on DC Universe we talk about EQ and stuff like that. It was child's play to getting DC universe out. It was honestly one of the worst periods of my life. Uh, it allowed me to identify what a bad period looks like. Um, I've been in the army, uh, you know, like I've, I've had a, a a life that has spanned a number of things and Mm -hmm. that period was horrific. And it was horrific for a lot of people, right? It's one of those periods where people lost relationships, people had bad health, all of that stuff. My thing with that is I, I learned a lot about myself, what I, what I will and won't do, what I will or won't be stressed out about or go along with. And I also learned who will I work with again? Mm-hmm. There are people in this industry that I will never work for again, never work with again. And that's that. And, you know, that's, and I, I don't think I'm like spilling any beans or whatever, but as a, as a, you know, as someone that's coming in, if you don't have a, if you don't have a family, if you don't have a life, if you want to do the work, if you see the opportunity and you're on a team where you think you're going to have equity or compensated, you know, for that shit, go for it, man. That's startup culture or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I, it's, it's honestly not that healthy. Yeah. yeah I would agree. I would agree. Yeah. The, uh, yeah, I would totally agree. The the whole live to work versus work to live is a valid conversation for one to have with oneself. Yes, sir. Uh, one second. I'm going to mess your name up again. Oblevins. 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 Thank you for the five tier one community subs. I'm just reading it out, man. I'm so not used to subscriptions and shit. I'm just like, uh, I think streamers say it this way. Dude, thanks for the subs. The fact that you gave five subs to people is badass. Brooksley, Quiet Function, others, congrats. Thank you so much. Sorry for the delay, buddy. Um, That's really cool. Yeah, so was DCU just a massive contract? Yeah. Because people don't talk about this kind of thing sometimes. And that was the question. Jen was a financially successful project for Triumph. Uh, yeah, it kept the whole company going for a really, really long time. Um, it was, and, and I've, I've mentioned this to press before, so I don't think I'm leaking anything here. Um, but I think the all in development cost was 48 million on Rift and it made back many, many times that, um, however, you know, even when you're making that kind of money, um, the monthly cost of supporting a studio of, you know, or sorry, multiple, a company of 650 people at its peak, um, will exhaust even the kind of money we were making there. Right. Um, and so that's why even more fundraising had to happen uh, after Rift launched and after Rift was bringing it back because we were the company at the time was spending all the money Rift was making 
plus all the money from the fundraising. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, um, definitely, definitely worked. Worship yeah, me. Exactly. Turn it. Worship me. D E. You sound like a German website. I may have visited. Um, let's see. Thank you for the follow. And there was a question up here. Was there a lot of crunch? Well, it's funny. Um, Hartsman mentioned that EQ2 was kind of like the last 11 months. Um, I spent five years on DC Universe Online, and it was like the last year was when we actually made the game. <clears throat> and the last year was like one solid block of time. It was interesting because we had catered breakfast, catered lunch, and catered dinner. Um, and it's always a warning sign, man. So yeah, we'll talk about it as a perk. It's a warning sign. Yeah, and when I actually finally like had a weekend off, I did not know what to do with my time. It was so weird. Yeah. So, huh. wait, wait. I see one. This one. I this one. I want to hit too. Whose idea was slash pizza, and why hasn't another done it since? Um, I was the engineer who did the first throw it in as a, a hacked up command that simply launched the web browser to a to a web page. Um, on EQ1, and then another engineer did it on EQ2. Um, the idea, I think, wasn't it a web comic, Sean? I think it was a web comic. GU comics. The idea. What's that? What's a GU? GU comics. It was, yeah, I think it was either GU or Penny Arcade. Uh, made fun of us oh. for you know how addictive the game was, and people are going to die if we don't add a slash pizza command. And so yeah. we added a pizza command. May have been Penny Arcade. Uh, it was one of them. Um, I think the my favorite favorite Penny Arcade memory. Here's one. I don't know. You probably you probably remember this. You were still around at the time. They did something or said something that was making fun of a Smed decision. You know, Smed made a a controversial decision. I forget what the topic was, and they made the comment about how like it was something about uh, eating eating shit filled donuts. Or something like that, you know, was uh, was was the punchline to their comic, and I believe out of his own pocket he sent them two thousand chocolate filled donuts, which showed up in their office as uh, um, uh, on a truck, and uh, with the most puzzled driver delivering it, and the most irritated people on the other end, um, which they did at least in good sport, take pictures of themselves receiving all of this and uh, um, taking pictures of stacks upon stacks upon stacks and racks and racks of shit-filled donuts. So uh, that was fun. As you say that, I, I think I remember the picture of... I remember picture of people with donuts. I just didn't know the triggering event. <laughs> yeah, I think, it, I think it was I think it was somebody somebody, somebody called something a shit-filled donut. And uh, Smed being Smed went, you asked for it, you got it, buddy. <laughs> Ixar Monkey, if Scott came back and played EQ1 with me and Jasmine, he would probably lose his mind. You've seen me play. <laughs> it, yeah, it, I, did, I, I, did my, I did my time lock progression in that one round a couple of Unfortunately, working too much to be MMOing hardcore at the moment, although I did uh, duck into WoW Classic for a while. and uh, uh, But no, time, actually, unfortunately, I need to pay attention to work, sad as it is. Yeah. Yeah. Lemon Stream PS2 Crunch was about eight months. And it's 9.30 to 11.30. Uh, 
Saturday, Sunday. Uh, oh, eight, eight to 12 hours on Saturday, Sunday off. Yeah. I mean, that's just, it. it's not that uncommon, or at least it wasn't. Um, yeah, those are, that's, that's rough. That's, that's the rough hours. All right. That, you know, I think as we all get older, we're much more likely to, uh, try to avoid doing that in the future. No doubt. Did you see somebody just ran? Yeah, somebody just ran by and waved. I'm not that coordinated, buddy. I can't balance sandwich bites on my lap while manhandling the mouse, scrolling. So, Sean, Turnip found the article. It was Penny Arcade. I'm I'm clicking on it now. It's good. Good thing I didn't eat lunch. (laughs) (laughs) Is the name of the article? (laughs) Yeah, man. That's one of the things I, I I do really admire about Smed. He would do that sort of thing. He would. Loved it. Absolutely who, loved it. Who designed uh, Seven Chardock? Um, those dungeons were designed well before my time. Um, I did the redesign of Chardock with Rich Waters over a weekend at Smed's behest. So we went in and re- redid it um, because we needed to spice things up i think it was push engagement <clears throat> planet side um did planet side development affect us at all well, I, I don't know about you it didn't um i when i was on eq1 i got asked to they they brought me in to consult a couple times they were thinking about doing like an NPC based expansion. So I helped them think through what it would take to do, to add NPCs at all into a game that had never had the concept of one. Um, and I think that idea, I don't know if they ever did it later on, but I know it got ruled out pretty strongly during that one because it was just going to be way too much. <clears throat> I don't know if it did ever go in. I didn't think it did, but yeah, I was brought over for the same reason. Yeah. yeah. They, and I think it was like space dinosaurs. They had no, they are they had space dinosaurs. Yeah, yeah, space dinosaurs. <laughs> it's like... The shifters, Nick. Am I wrong though? Weren't they space dinosaurs, or did I did I make that up? Am I imagining that? They're space cows. Nick knows. I'm glad Nick knows. Cool. I sure don't. All right, guys. What's going on here? Do you have any more? Or are we winding down? Oh, well, okay. So I'm apparently actually late for a thing. My bad. You guys are way more entertaining than my real life. So thank you. I appreciate that. John, thanks for doing this, man. <laughs> Not a problem, dude. Uh, I I think this is a very successful first time at this. Good. I'm glad you're on. Um, I really appreciate you being our, our, our guinea pig on this, and I'll follow up with you, and we'll we'll kind of see. Um, I'm going to dig up some of these other people, and maybe cool. we can get, get you on again. Yeah, and so the folks in chat know it's funny. So I've been over to Germany 
randomly, you know, multiple times over the last five or six years. I kept saying to Sean, we need to get together for a beer. We need to get together for a beer. Um, and we continually failed to. So this was supposed to be our virtual beer before I realized it's happening at 11 in the morning. So we still need to figure out the right time for the actual beer, Sean. All right. This is important. Right. We will. We will. All right, Scott. All right. Thank you very much for coming into it. See you, buddy. How do I make this thing turn off, kids?